So today it's interesting because we get to talk to somebody who comes from a foreign land, someplace that most of us in like Arkansas, where we're from, have no idea what it's like to live there. I've never been there, but I've been in L.A. and Seattle and Denver, places like that. But today we're, we're, we're going to talk to Mr. Robert Jestic. Jestic, is that correct? That is correct. Do you want me to call you Robert or, Ro- or Bob or Rob? Or- Bob is fine. Bob? Sounds yes. great. So, <clears throat> so Bob, you uh, involved in law enforcement in the New York City Police Department for 40 years? Correct. Well, the actual... I was a member of the New York City Police Department and actually started off with the New York City Transit Police Department for 20 years. And since that time, when I retired, I've been working with the uh, with the MTA uh, as the chief security officer for the Revenue Department. Nice. Nice. So the Revenue Department, you were talking about keeping the keeping the place funded and it's the turnstile jumpers. We see that in every TV show that we've ever watched about New York City. Is, is, I, I guess it's a problem. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're actually they're actually now. Um, I'm not sure how this is working out or if it's going to work out, but they're they're hiring and placing uh, private armed guards down at the uh, near the near the turnstile in the uh, the MVM machines where you get the metro cards and would soon be transitioning over to a thing called Omni uh, cards, but they're placing armed guards there. Wow. Armed guards. So, but not police. They're private. Right. They're private. That's not going to work out well, is it? Well, we'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is some dude making 40% less than the union cop is now going to be. Yeah. His buddies come by and he's like, oh, don't worry about it, Bill. Jump the cell. Who cares? Actually, <laughs> they're paying them $50 an hour. Oh, wow. Well, I guess in New York City, when you have a one bedroom yeah. loft is like it's five grand a month, that's probably still lower pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So I guess you've got tons of questions, don't you, Andrew? Well, just some stuff that I've thought of. Like, OK, I've always. Well, you know, first off, we have to give credit where credit's due. You've got some books. Yes. And that and that you've written and and tell us about those. Well, I started back in, I guess now it's 2017, is when I finally um, got books published. I I had started years and years ago. Um, you know, I think every cop thinks that you know they've got a book in them, and <laughs> I was no exception. But I was always great at starting, but not very good at finishing. And I had this one book for years that was sitting partially written. And then finally, in 2017, I finished it, and it was like opening up floodgates. I haven't stopped writing since. Nice. Uh, I have a series, um, a Dark Knight series, that I have seven books now in that series, which is, these are nonfiction. They're true stories. They talk about different aspects of basically of my career and they emphasize the humorous side, the dark humorous side. You know, there's all kinds oh, of, he's going to fit in right around here. Isn't he? <laughs> <There's all laughs> kind of, you know, books and TV shows on the, uh, you know, the cat, you know, the, the catching the criminal, the crime of the century. And that's not really what my career was all about, but I, 
kind of specialized on more of the offbeat type of stories. And maybe it wasn't the crime of the century, but it, I think people would find well, them interesting and I, funny. I think that if you're the person the crime happened to, it was the crime of the century. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, not everybody in their career can say that they've caught somebody like Ted Bundy, but I mean, every... I, I don't want to meet Ted Bundy. I don't care if I catch him. Let somebody else catch him. As well, long as somebody catches him, I don't care. He's gone. But you know what I mean? Like, to everyone that's a crime victim, your assistance meant the world to them. Yeah, so. absolutely. The the police are so underrated that people don't know how badly they need police until they actually need a policeman. That's true. true. They complain and moan and groan about it until they actually need one. Oh, well, here we are. So I've always so, kind of wanted to know this. But his, where are your books Yeah, where are available? your books at? Yeah, yeah. Best place to find my books is on Amazon. If you just uh, look up my author, I write under the name of Robert Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N. And if uh, you just look up Robert Bryan under my author page on Amazon, that's the best place to look. Okay, cool. And awesome. So have they had, have they been, have they done pretty well for you? Uh as far as I'm concerned, as as uh, they have. you know, it's believe me, I'm not going to be on any New York Times bestseller list soon, but I'm 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 very happy with how how they sell. Yeah, it's very nice. And and I'm I'm sure they're quite interesting. I mean, you were the, the head of tell me your your last title again. Um, the I retired at the I retired from the police department, the rank of captain. Oh. And uh like I said, now I'm the chief security officer with the revenue department at the MTA. Uh, but I, you know, you go in the police department, you go up from police officer to sergeant, lieutenant, and then captain. And I retired at the rank of captain. Well, interesting enough. So just to kind of put this in perspective, uh, obviously people know the captain is going to be quite important. Uh, but there are 35,000 roughly Police officers uh, that work in the New York City Police Department, I think maybe Springdale, Arkansas has like 2,000 at most. <laughs> this, is, this total, there's 35,000 folks, but there was only 355 captains. And right. 7 million, 8 million people living in New York City and its boroughs and whatnot. That's not very many. You would think there'd be more. I guess you would, but you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way the manpower is broken down. Yeah. Somebody's, you know, you got to boss all those cats around, you know? So, <laughs> so what's above captain? Then, then you have deputy inspector, full inspector, deputy chief, assistant chief. Uh, and then you get into just the four star, the super chiefs, the from police officer up to captain, are civil service appointments. You have to pass a competitive civil service exam. Anything above captain is an, is a, is an appointment. Yeah, that's it's not political, based on I a, think. yes, yes. Wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, and so, <clears throat> so one of the things I guess, I, I, Andrea's dying to ask these questions and I keep interrupting her. I'm trying to do the business. The, the business here. The business. <laughs> I just, I'm just, when he said he was going to interview you, I was kind of excited because I was like, wow, I can finally like ask somebody something I've always wanted to know. Like this cop shows that you see on TV and they always hype it up and keep your interest. I know when I watch medical shows, I can't watch them, number one, because I get irritated at how inaccurate they are. It's like me watching movies. I'm like, no, that's so badly wrong done. 
Yeah. I just can't do it because I'm like, that's never going to happen. That's not how it goes. Is cop shows kind of the same way? Because there's, or is there a little bit of truth to it, but they just really Hollywood it up? What are your thoughts? I think there's a very few that really strive for complete realism. And, and I don't blame them for not being completely realistic because they have to put on an entertaining show. And a lot of police work is not entertaining. You know, there's in, in the shows, a cop fires his weapon, shoots someone and he's back to work the next day. That, that, That doesn't happen. There doesn't seem to be really any paperwork that's that's completed uh you know and and the fact that as detectives they're never overwhelmed you know with cases they always seem to have an unlimited amount of time to to work on that one case you know i mean there's a lot of it witnesses are always easy to locate and they're very very (laughs) happy to tell you what what they saw (laughs) isn't, isn't true um but again, it's, with, with some of this, I understand they, they have to. But I, I don't watch a lot of the police shows. And I do get turned off with just the visible unrealistic aspects when when they've got the wrong type shield, the wrong type patch. Yeah. You know, they do when, when just the setting is wrong. That's to me, that's kind of a turn off. And it's weird because they have advisors that are from the police department hire there's guys that just make a living following around these tv shows and yet they still get it wrong is the advisor just like a union job or something where he's phoned in or i mean come on yeah i don't know the ins and outs of that i think sometimes though with some of these departments if they don't sign off and authorize the use then they can't really use the the realistic looking shield or insignia from a particular I, department. But it, that should be protected under like constitution or something like that. You would think yeah. maybe it's copyrighted. I don't know. Well, even if it is, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's a dramatized event and it's, I don't know. Hey, we get into, get into that craziness and go down and we need a lawyer for that. I totally get it because I get annoyed with the medical shows. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how this goes. <laughs> the most realistic, most realistic show that I've seen, and again, I don't watch a lot of them, but a number of years ago on HBO, The Wire, if you ever saw that, it was really? a uh, series about the Baltimore Police Department. But just the characters, the environment, the grittiness of it, that was extremely, in my opinion, at least extremely realistic. Okay. I've not seen that, but now I'm really curious. So, like NYPD Blue and stuff like that probably drives you probably drives you nuts, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't watched too many of that. Crazy Anatomy drives what, me insane. Yeah, it's not even remotely. <laughs> what correct. about Hill Street Blues? Out of curiosity, Hill Street Blues back in the day, I I, I watched some of that. Again, some of the some of the character uh, portrayals were fairly realistic with that, from what I remember. Um, but again, it, it, the, the drama, some the drama involved with it sometimes it's hard to relate to that. Uh, um, but again, they're trying to pack so much into. I think that was an hour show at the yeah. time. Pack so much into an hour that's going minutes. on at one time. It, it yeah. literally only lasted thirty-seven minutes. Yeah, the rest of it was commercials. That's probably about right. And that's exactly what, the way it was back then because it was before the internet. Hill Street Blues is an old mm-hmm. show. And but I think actually Hill Street Blues was like a transition from where they were trying to give you a more realistic version as opposed to 
you know, the Adam 12 and the dragnet. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Dragnet. Yeah. dragnet. Yeah. Just the facts. Just yeah. the facts. I, I'll tell you whatever the fuck I want to tell you. I'm going to give you the facts. I'm a, I, 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 you trying to put me in jail? Hell no. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's, that's what they're thinking in their brain. The internal dialogue for a criminal is like, uh-uh. <laughs> All right, here's a question that my son wanted me to ask, and he's very curious. He's like, what's the strangest thing that you saw as an NYPD cop? The thing that always stuck in your brain? Because I have stories of patients and things and situations that are forever going to be ingrained in my yeah, brain. But please remove this situation. That was very interesting. Please remove it. Remember the guy came in the ER and says, can oh. you please get this out? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, 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 won't, we, won't we will go over that right now. But... um. <laughs> So he was kind of curious, like, what's the strangest thing that's stuck in your brain that you'll forever remember? Hmm. Strangest thing, which actually is popping into my brain now, mainly because somebody just brought this up the other day to me, and I, and it did cause me to recollect on it. And again, it's just a strange, funny thing, but it, it's, I was a lieutenant at the time, and working in Flushing area of Queens, and it was a winter's night and I was working midnights and it was three o'clock or so in the morning and it was extremely cold, but one of these, there was no snow. It was cold, crisp, clear nights. And it was very, very quiet for whatever reason. I forget why there were, there were cops detailed out to, certain areas there. I don't know what was going on that evening or the next day, but there were cops detailed on certain corners and I was visiting them and with stopping with my car, my driver and talking to one of the cops on one of these corners. And it says three o'clock, it's extremely, extremely quiet. But then off in the distance can just start hearing this high pitched squeal. Very, never heard this sound before, like a squeal a metallic type of a sound and it starts getting louder it starts getting louder. And then all of a sudden off in the distance, I can see all kinds of sparks and uh, uh, it looks like at street level. And then the, the sounds getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden coming driving by is a car that one of his tires is actually gone, including the rim. And he's driving along on the axle of one of the cars. And we immediately stop him. And the guy didn't even realize that his, his tire was gone. <laughs> what's, and, were, and what's wrong? Now, the guy was obviously intoxicated. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but didn't realize he was driving along with sparks flying everywhere. This this ungodly squeal and he's just driving through the night ton with ton, throwing up a ton of sparks with with his with his tire and his rim gone oh my gosh <laughs> she's so call, call, call the fire station because <laughs> half the block is on fire now <laughs> oh my gosh How, he must have been extremely intoxicated not to know that i mean yeah it's probably on probably smoking weed and <laughs> It's weed, cocaine, and alcohol, probably. He's like, nah, I'm good, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> wow. That would have been something to see. I don't even know how a car could do that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't know at that time he could actually sure. go along at twenty miles an hour without uh, without the tire. Bad boys, bad oh, boys. It's was- always those guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stopping. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> those shows i know were very popular at one point in time even my little at the time my son was pretty young i'll tell him the cop story oh this is funny i get pulled over because i'm speeding not proud of it but i tell the cop you know yes i know i'm speeding my son taking him to what was six five or six yeah leans rolls down the window leans over and goes are you gonna arrest my mom <laughs> And the cop starts laughing and he goes, no. And then he starts singing the bad boy song. And the cop's just laughing and laughing. And he looks at me and goes, I can't give you a ticket. He goes, that's the funniest thing that made my morning. He said, just don't speed. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> now he's not 19. I'm like, do you remember doing that? And he goes, I was just curious. It's the first time I saw a cop. I thought he was going to arrest you. <laughs> Six-year-old in the back seat yelling, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? <laughs> he was a very cantankerous handful of a child, but God love him, he's 19 now. So, <laughs> so um, when uh, now the books that you wrote, um, what, what, what do they generally surround themselves with? What's- well, as, as I said, the, the Dark Knight series is nonfiction, true stories from my career. Now, I actually have, I have another series called Hairbag Nation. Now, I don't know if you have you ever heard the term hairbag before. No, we're Southerners. We yeah, that that's more or less uh, uh, as I'm finding out. That's a New York uh, term. Uh, hairbag is a is a slang term that's used for a, let's say a veteran cop, but it's not a compliment. It's, you know, that, that old hair bag, uh, you know, a guy who has a lot of years on the job, but really doesn't want, isn't really interested in doing anything. He's just riding out his time. Uh, so those are fictional stories. I have a series on, uh, with hair bag nation. And I also have a series that I've just, I'm in the middle of right now. This is nonfiction. It's called the police of New York city, but it does not, focus on current NYPD. It, it, it tells stories of basically obsolete police departments. Like there had been at one time a separate Brooklyn Bridge police department, a separate huh. um, a separate Prospect Park in Brooklyn police department. Well, Prospect it's Park separate- had, its, it had its issues from what I remember. Yeah. So it's, it's a series on, uh, on, on obsolete police departments. So how has, since it, it, it kind of goes over the, the way it used to be done, kind of thing and well it, it it really talks about the actual i i it's you know i enjoy doing the research also with it and it just talks about how those departments were structured what they did uh if i can find stories about some of the personalities within those departments oh, yeah. and um and, and and trying to give people a flavor for how it was at that time and how the job was done at that time so I got a I got a question. Brings there was a good segue here to one of our topics today, but I have a question that preempts that. That's very interesting because I want to know this. You see the stereotype of a New York City, you know, police department officer or somebody that lives in New Jersey but works in New York City or whatever. If they can do that, I'm not sure. You can't. You can't. Yeah, I thought at one time you could, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I 
How close are the stereotypes, stereotypical actor portrayals of New York City cops? You've seen some of the crazy ones, I'm sure. Like, uh, how close is that to some of the people that are actually on the force? There's some, you know, I, I run into some crazy people over the years. And I think like with every stereotype, stereotypes develop because there's at least some little, little bit of truth to them. Maybe not a lot, but a little right. bit. And there's some cops that, um, you know, there's some cops that, you know, are a little bit off center, you know. Um, And a lot of times it's, you know, the environment that uh, that you work in. Like, I don't know how. I mean, I've been out for a long time now. I don't know how these guys and girls do it today with, um, you know, with the all this defund the police sentiment out there and uh, prosecutors that seem more interested in prosecuting cops than criminals. Um, so, you know, it's a wonder that sometimes, you know, they don't go a little off center cynicism doesn't set in a lot easier than it does. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what was that? Was it NYPD blue that had that, that little short guy with the bald guy with the mustache? He was a detective and he was always kind of half crazy. That I'm not, not sure. Uh, Mankiewicz or something like that I think his name was I vaguely remember the show I didn't watch much of it to be yeah, I didn't watch much of it either because it just felt wrong it felt like it wasn't real even though it felt real I was like I don't know that's wasn't that uh, the punk, uh, one of the kids from the 80s sitcom was playing opposite of him so I was like I can't believe it uh, but I, you know I was just curious as, as you know you see these guys and they they it, it, the stereotype is that New York City is extremely rude. Would you find that? Have you been outside of New York much to, to, to kind of see some other types of cultures inside of the United States? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say on average. I probably travel a lot less than the average person. But I've been I've been, you know, out to different places and. And yeah, I'd have to agree with it. New York is rude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. L.A. is crazy. Those people out there are just absolutely insane. They have no idea what the hell's going on. Seattle's depressed half the time. Uh, and it, so the stereotypes, the stereotypes seem to be true. I mean, when I lived in Seattle, those those cats were always, they're just kind of subtle. But it was also in the middle of the grunge movement, too, in the 90s. Uh, that I was out there in Seattle. So maybe that's a little different, but yeah, yeah. You see that folks are just rude as hell on the TV shows and stuff. And, you know, like law and order, you know, they didn't seem too rude on law and order. How, how well does law and order hold up? I never watched that. Oh my gosh. Nope. You should, you should, <laughs> it's a good show. It gets real. Watch the first 10 years and then stop because they went off the air for a reason. It was every, the show was so segmented. You, anybody could tell when something was about to happen because the music (laughs) would pick up and you're like, Oh, it must be the end. (laughs) Make that little dun dun noise. Bump bump. Yeah. But to begin with, it was really good. And I, I, I thought it was fairly realistic, but, but you're right. I never thought about it. Those shows, they only have one case they're working on. Yeah. And that's not true. Right. You never see them juggling cases. I can't stay spend time on this because I got to I have six other cases I got to deal with. You never see that. Right. Well, I was looking at crime statistics, too. And in 1990, 
murders were 2,262. And in 2019, there was 319 murders. Really? How? That's a huge discrepancy. What's the difference between 1990 and 2019? Um, an, an aggressive mode of policing, and which unfortunately... Uh, the administrations in the last few years has backed off from there Giuliani was, is gone. So now you've got. Some yeah. Else. And just this whole um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the philosophy of broken windows. Uh-uh. It no. um, it was there was a, a, a gentleman, an academic, uh, George Kelling, who was the one that put forth this theory of broken windows. And it's called broken windows because he had said that if you took a uh, you took a look at a, a building that was left abandoned and as soon as it showed that the, nobody really cared about it windows started being broken the um there was nobody maintaining the landscaping around it when you got that feeling that nobody cared about it crime would increase in that area because it was just the environment became conducive for it so that was translated into in the city, if you let the little things go, you let the uh, you let the small violations like turnstile yeah. jumping run wild. That the smaller violations lead to the bigger crimes, and if you crack down on the smaller violations, it impacts the larger crimes. And that's really what took place back and and was the bottom line is was responsible for driving down crime, including the serious crimes like murder. But wow. broken windows now is, has been completely abandoned. Really? I'd like to yes. see that. I'd like to see. Well, COVID's going to skew everything. Yes. So yes. We're not going to be able to take 2020, 2021 into consideration when we look at crime statistics because it's going to be a unique situation that no longer exists. Now, how has the COVID situation changed in in New York City? Are you guys like Australia where you're still on lockdown or does oh, it no, just normal? No. It's pretty much normal right now. And the only thing, things are still coming back. I just saw an article uh, just a few days ago how the one of the biggest measuring sticks, the um, the subway and railroad, uh, their, their statistics, their ridership statistics have have jumped back up significantly in the past month. And that is, had always been a big measuring stick, how, how the ridership had been way down. So more and more things are coming back to normal. Interesting. I would think that your job that you were doing would have the, the economists would be extremely interested in what you're doing because the, the numbers of people coming into the city is going to probably be a good uh, reflection of how well the economy is doing. True. Because if there's 100,000 people a day coming into the city, or a million, or two million, what was your average rider into the city a day? Oh, I want to say, I might be getting this wrong, but I want to say there was a couple of million a day. Oh, wow. um, yeah. At least that, but that's, see, that's something that's never going to come back totally because um, there are organizations that determine that they can do their they can perform the function of whatever their, their, their company is just as well working at home. And why should they pay Manhattan rents if yeah. they can 
doing all, you know, working. That's working always been remotely. something that yeah. drove me nuts is that, can you not see how expensive, just build it in, in Maryland or New Jersey or something like that, you know? <laughs> it's not that far. Yeah. Why the hell do you need to be in Manhattan for this when it's it's all computerized now? I could see when it was all paper. I mean, there used to be. It's interesting. The the New York City had a pneumatic postal service. And pneumatic tubes. Yeah, that's how they delivered mail in the nineteen hundred in the early nineteen hundreds. They had all around the city there's these tubes if you go and look there's there's these tubes i i, I saw this on a documentary so obviously i don't know anything about it because i've never been east but you know the farthest east i've been is is south carolina because uh, i got a free trip to see an insurance company when i was selling insurance and it's like oh thanks i get to see the inside of an insurance building for a week yay anyway but yeah i mean i can understand why you would want to be in the city right next to wall street and all the other stuff you know, that's the capital of, of, of our economic system is New York City. It, I, I, I imagine it still is. Yeah. Okay, I have a totally different question, but I'm obviously from the South. I've lived in a couple places, traveled a couple places. Last night, your accent really let me know you're from the South. Oh, thanks. He's- it comes out every now and then. So I've always wanted to tour New York City, but after watching some of the cop shows, which we've discovered is not completely accurate, and the guess the theme of New York always kind of coming across as a little rude. What tips would you recommend somebody like me who wants to go visit but doesn't want to stick out as a person who could become a crime victim? Because obviously I'll have an accent there. I will not know where I'm going. I'll have not a clue. I probably won't blend in that well. How? What would you recommend? Well, I would say that you want to as you just said, you want to do everything possible to not stick out as if you're a foreigner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, cause I would, is, I have a Southern yeah. draw in New York city. That's going to stick out right there. You want to stay in the well traveled, well populated areas. You don't want to be, uh, you want to always maintain situational awareness you know in the older days it used to be you know you don't, you don't want to be running around looking unfolding and looking at a map you know nowadays though you don't want to be walking around with your head buried in your in, in your smartphone uh you, you you don't want to you know you want to be aware you don't want to let people see that you know they could walk right up on you and you're not even aware of who's standing next to you um and again the main thing is stay in in, in populated areas chart out your, if you're going into Manhattan, you know, the good thing there is most areas of Manhattan, especially during the daytime, you're, you, you know, you're not going to be left. Don't go isolated. there at three o'clock in the morning. No. And, 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 I <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be just saying, I want to take a walking tour of the Bronx and Brooklyn in the middle of the night just to see <laughs> no, what's going on. I wouldn't even do that. We're living now. Even, even, even me, a guy that's afraid of absolutely nothing knows better than to do that. Yeah. <laughs> So what are the heavily populated areas of New York? Cause like to me, the, New York. I mean, that's what I'm New saying. New York City. I'm like, to me, it's like. All the boroughs. I like everywhere is. So. It's seven and a half, eight million people. Yeah. This yeah but you'd be, you'd be surprised, though, that you, how quickly you could find yourself, even in Manhattan, walking down some street. And all of a sudden, it's just a, it's an isolated, empty street that you really don't want to be on. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. That's that. That's that's why I say it, it's 
I wouldn't just the the biggest thing I could say is just don't decide to go exploring. If you know, get on one of those tour buses. You see them all the time with yeah. the double decker. You know, get on one of them, and you get a that way you know what you're seeing, and you're seeing it in a safe environment. Okay, thank you. Wow, this is this is interesting. I just now noticed a statistic: auto theft in 1990 was 146 thousand plus cars stolen. In 2010. It went down to ten thousand, and in twenty nineteen, it's only fifty four hundred. Holy I, crap! I guess I was given the impression that really to have a car in New York would be about it. City would be about impossible because it's so populated. Where would you park? That most people take public transit. Well, yeah, that's that's, and also that's dealing with Manhattan. Unless you have some kind of an uh, an indoor parking garage that you have access to it's ridiculous to go into Manhattan, but even in the, uh, in the outer boroughs, like I, where I am now, where I'm working now, I'm 13 miles from home. And my average time is an hour and 15 minutes yeah. to get home. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's what I was 13 saying. Miles. That's what I said. She lives an hour from me and I go out there all the time. She comes in here all the time and everybody around here is like, why are you, why are you seeing this woman who's an hour drive? I couldn't put up with it. And I'm like, obviously you've never lived in a big city. Cause if you have an hour drive, it's not that big a deal. No, I live North of Dallas and it, um, I was working as a nurse working, you know, 12 hour shifts, got to be there at six 30 traffic was not a problem. Just zoom, zoom 20 minutes or more. I need to be, I took an, an 18 lane highway leading you yeah. into town. And then I take another position where I have to be there at eight o'clock in the morning. It took me an hour to get to work every yeah. day. So I've, so used to that that it doesn't really phase me now lived in castaic california tried to get in to uh la and that was two hours the five there's no way you can't get in at all so but so you're saying though that between now and then in 1990 when crime was probably at not its worst i think that would be the mid 80s that crime was was its worst um it's because it's because people paid attention to the to, to what the city was doing. It also was that was the birth of what was known as is still known as Comstat, which stands for Computer Statistics. The uh, police department at that time, when um, Bill Bratton came in, um, who's, and who's Bill Bratton? He was a, a com- police. He was a police commissioner. Had two separate terms as being police commissioner. Yeah, but he had uh, a deputy commissioner, Jack Maple, who had um, brought up this idea of tracking crime through computer statistics, and that became kind of like the the bible of, uh, of of police crime prevention, where you know precinct commanders were held accountable for crimes in their areas and it was based on you know how many you know pin maps how many robberies occurred in this area and what were you doing about it and so every at month and sometimes a lot more frequently precinct commanders had to be down at police headquarters to deal with this comstat answer questions as to how come you had you know if you had if you had six robberies that happened between two o'clock and four o'clock in the morning at a certain area what are you doing? How are you deploying manpower to deal with that specific pattern? And, um, you know, Comstat was found to be, or, you know, to be a resounding success. And that was one of the other areas that, uh, that is said to have driven down those crime statistics. So when, you know, Rudy Giuliani, he's, he's renowned as, 
the guy that fixed New York City from the crime of the 80s. Um, do you think that lies solely with him or was he just the guy that was able to administrate it into existence? Well, I have to be fair, and I, I think that he had a lot to do with it. And I am no Rudy Giuliani fan because on a very personal level, Rudy Giuliani was the first time we ever got zeros on a contract where instead of getting raises, we got uh, two years of zero raise, zero raise under Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. So I'm no fan of Rudy Giuliani, but I have to be fair and say that it was under his administration that the um, there was aggressive policing and, and crime fighting. Well, and, you know, I mean, something had to be fixed, I guess. And you, you, sometimes hard choices have to be made. But it looks like he did his job. I don't know. I, we really don't know. I mean, Rudy is put on uh, on certain news networks all the time as the guy. And I just wonder, is he really the guy? Yeah, I think a lot of times also it's, um, you know, when you're somebody at the top like the mayor, your success is based on who you've placed around you. And, you know, he had, uh, again, when Bratton was the police commissioner, yeah. uh, and, and so Bratton you know, the was the guy that really helped things, crime go away. Yeah, that would be my own opinion. I think he was the most important piece of, of that. Uh, of I mean, that, it's always uh, a team. If you approach things as a team, you can win. If you try to do it by yourself, you generally lose. Yeah, that's just the way it works, unfortunately. And people, yeah. you know, people like myself chagrin that all the time because it's like, I'm so good, but I'm not really. I have to have some people around me that are good, too. And that's why I'm with Andrea, because Andrea is better than me in a lot of ways. <laughs> I can tell you that. So this is totally just a different kind of question, but I just kind of want to get uh, your perspective on it. Um, I have kids that are starting to learn how to drive. And Who can't pass their test? Well, it's hard. <laughs> you know, the written test is hard in Arkansas. I'm sure it's hard everywhere. Actually, yeah, Arkansas made it a point to make it one of the hardest driving tests, written driving tests in the country. I don't know why, but that's what they did. But it's good. So, you know, he's 17. And I've always instructed him when you get pulled over. This is how I was instructed, I should say. My father was, we live in the country. There's some dark, you know, creepy roads, his words were. So he's always given me instructions of when you get pulled over, you just crack the window and ask to see their badge. Because it, at that time I was learning to drive, there was a blue light rapist going around. So he always wanted me to be cautious. Cause this person, Are you sure? Or was that just a rumor mill? Like the, I don't know. Like, like the, 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 what was it we've been seeing a lot lately is the... Uh, the satanic panic of the 80s. I mean, I don't know. This is what he instructed. I'd show the badge, I'd roll down the window, and I would put my hands on the wheel, and I'd say, may I lean over and get my license and registration? And I always asked him, why do we need to say that? And he goes, you don't want to like make any sudden moves. You want to let them know what you're doing. I was like, okay. I pulled the license and registration, hand it to him, and I was always polite, say, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, yes, sir, you know, that kind of thing. You know? Be very polite, be up and front and honest, don't lie, because he always told me if you lie, they already know the truth before they ask the question, because they know if you if you were speeding or not. And then go about your day, pay your ticket, and that's the end of it. Well, there's so much misconception out there with, unfortunately, against cops that the younger generation, I've had to explain to my children, that not all that you see and hear is correct. People, cops are people. There's good and bad. Yeah. You need to be nice. Police officers are just human beings like the rest of us. You need to be nice and polite when you get pulled over. Don't throw a fit. Don't throw gruff. Just do what they ask and things will be fine. 
Do you have any instructions for young youth or young women that are driving by themselves? Because this is the things I've always followed and I've never had any problems ever with getting pulled over. Yeah, well, what you've said is is correct. And uh, there's actually two aspects to this. The first one, you're pulled over. You you never want to surprise the cop. And that's why it is always a good idea once you're pulled over, crack the window open. And if it's night out, put your put on your, you know, your inside light so that the cop has full, as much visibility. And I would say, just put your hands on the steering wheel at like the 10 and two position and just wait, wait until now, until there's instructions. And now when the cop shows up at the, at the window and says license registration, if that license and or registration is in the glove box, that's when you're playing. I'm going to be going into the glove box or I'm going into uh, a compartment you know, just explain what you're doing before you do it. Uh, and again, there's nothing, you know, you could, if you think the cop's way out of line, you can always deal with that later on, but just be compliant. There's nothing good that comes out of not being compliant at the scene. The other area that you talked about, and this is something that the NYPD actually addressed a, a lot of years ago with an internal memo. If it's an unmarked vehicle and you're being pulled over, and it's now police out of uniform that are approaching the car, uh, plainclothes police. Um, they, there's nothing wrong with not stopping until you get into some populated area. And, and the NYPD actually came out and told, unless it's a dire emergency, their plainclothes units do not stop unless it's really necessary, uh, a car in an isolated area because it is reasonable it's reasonable for that person to want to not want to engage someone who's in plain clothes. And a badge nowadays really means nothing. And yes. anybody can get a hold of a badge. Um, well, so, you know, they sell them. You can yeah. buy them in pawn shops. But how can you tell the difference between a good badge and a bad one? Is there like any type of numbers or symbols or anything? Yes. Yeah. You see, the problem with a place like New York City is that there's. God, there's got to be at least 20 or more different law enforcement agencies that are active. Yeah. You have, uh, besides the NYPD, you have state agencies, other city agencies, federal agencies that are all running operations within the city yeah. and, and not in uniform and could conceivably be doing some type of a car stop. And it's 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 ridiculous to try to say that the average citizen should know what every agency's badge looks like. It's true. Um, not to mention that it's not that difficult to get a hold of a realistic one. Sadly, one though, the way the the way our laws are written is if you should be aware of them as a citizen, and that's used in court a lot to just burn people who couldn't possibly be expected to know. You know yeah, well, that's why but the, the, the point that I'm really making with this is if you were being pulled over by an unmarked car and you actually – kept not speeding i'm saying i'm not saying you're doing some type of yeah. of uh, you oj simpson it no not right you, you, you want to oj simpson it. yeah you're just going you know 30 <laughs> miles an hour and, and until <laughs> either if you know where there's a police station or, or until you see an actual mocked police vehicle or until at least you get to some popular location there's absolutely nothing wrong with that okay 
I've wondered about that because, I mean, I'm thinking, do I call the police department and be like, hey. You can. There's this person. You can do that, too. You can do that, too. Calling not. Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I have a daughter that's learning how to drive and I have a son and he's kind of, you know, afraid of doing the wrong thing and that kind of thing. And he's trying to give good advice. And I'm sure the NYPD has a problem with with this as well with new officers. Um, but out here in the sticks, which compared to New York city, we live in the, you know, the we, sticks. Yeah. The sticks. I, I tell a joke that, uh, you know, Arkansas is not too bad. Back in 1992, we passed a law that everyone has to wear shoes. Oh my gosh. So, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, out here, our police officers don't make much money. When you get outside of the bigger cities, they're they're getting like thirty five thousand a year, and mm-hmm. and they're having to pay for their benefits. They're not they're not free, uh, and they have to buy their own gun and they have to buy their own uniforms and they don't just give it, get it given to them. Um, specialty equipment, sure the city owns, but you know if you want a, a stepped up, uh, you know, uh, bulletproof type vest, which no, there is no such thing as a bulletproof vest. If somebody can, there's a round out there that will go through them all. Um, but you know, if you want a, a stepped up one instead of the cheap one, you can buy yourself. So these guys are out here, you know, they're suffering because they're not getting paid a lot. And generally there's not enough cops to cover the shifts. So they're always working extra and not getting, usually not getting paid overtime. Uh, cause there's just, you know, there's five cops to cover, uh, hundred square miles. So, you know, out in the counties. That's true. Where I'm at, that's, that's yeah. correct. So, you know, you really have to pay attention to, to these guys. But these guys, they get frustrated and upset at the job. And then they take it out on the people they pull over. And I, 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 I know a, a form of that's probably true with the new people in New, in, in New York City. But it's so interesting, the dichotomy between this you know a good cop and a bad cop and what makes a bad cop a bad cop yeah and that's well there's you know there's there's different levels here i mean when you're talking about first off you're talking about one of the hardest things to do is you know people forget that you've mentioned it a couple of times here cops are people yeah and you know they have their own issues at home with wives with children with financial uh, situations and now they come to work and those they might be don't magically a lot go of stress, away. but now you have to put those, leave those problems in the locker room and deal yeah. as a professional, which sometimes isn't the easiest thing in the world. You know, everybody has a bad day. Now, on the other hand, there's just quote unquote bad cops. They're, you know, they're the cops that you read about the, you know, the, uh, the 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 buddy boys in Brooklyn, yeah. the, you know the dirty thirty, you know the ones that are actually out taking drug money, running drug operations. Yeah, you know, know that right? it's those are just crooks. Those are just criminals that happen to be able to get into a into a blue uniform. That's right, and they, you know that mentality was there to begin with, and and it's really difficult to get to to find a, a way to realistically and succinctly find a way to weed those guys out or find them. And, and uh, Youngstown, Ohio is really bad about that. They had, I mean, <laughs> Youngstown's, if you, you might remember this, uh, what was the sheriff's name in the seventies? They tried him for, he took bribes from both mob families 
and yet the jury still said he was innocent. <laughs> so, you know, and, and he was a sheriff for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't help that like the media and TV and stuff like portray it that way. They don't betray them. Well, it doesn't help when a guy like that. Either, but I mean. <laughs> he just says, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, like you listen to like crime shows, like forensic shows. I like forensic shows. I wanted to, I almost finished my minor in criminal justice, but nursing school kind of got in the way, so I never finished it. But I always would watch those shows, and I used to be a coroner's assistant, and I mainly just watched it just because it was fascinating to me. But it doesn't help when you listen to podcasts or crime shows, and they show that cases got messed up because the cops messed up. That doesn't really like they didn't collect evidence properly or they didn't, you know, Sometimes get a search warrant. Sometimes they just don't know what they're doing when you're talking about these it, small towns. It is, you don't, it doesn't help the public or anyone to have a perception that they're still good people when you have all that out there saying that people messed up. Yeah. Well, when it, you know, I, I was chief editor at an ABC affiliate for five years and if it bleeds, it leads is still true today and it will never not continue to be true. It's, you know, yellow journalism back in the 1900s, early 1900s, it resulted in a war. We, you know, Spanish-American War was made up by Hearst and Pulitzer. So, but we're at that point again now that the news, both sides, liberal, Democrat, doesn't make any difference. Republican, conservative, doesn't make any difference. We're at that point now. I've seen it from the inside you know, the reason Trump was orange is because somebody screwed with the white balance on the camera. When it would come into our station, I told them, I said, look, we've got to white balance this. And they're like, why? Because Trump's not actually orange. They screwed with the white balance and you white balance it on a white card that's sitting in front of everything and he's not orange anymore. Wow. Who knew? It doesn't make difference what the politics are. It's it's, you know. Let's be truthful. Let's not be underhanded. Let's let's tell the people what's true. I'm not commenting on politics. I'm not commenting on Trump's ability to lead or any of that other BS. I'm not there. What I'm saying is it was a damn lie. And and we have to understand that when people say cop, all cops are evil, that's not true. It's a damn lie. What's your what's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, I think you're right on the money with that is, uh, you know, everybody's got, I think that's one of the major problems today. Everybody's got their own narrative, their own slant on things. So anything that occurs, everybody's trying to make it fit their own narrative. If, if the narrative is, you know, orange man bad, then everything that happens <laughs> is going to be slanted towards orange man bad. Orange it, man you bad. know, if, if it's cops are bad, everything slanted yeah. towards cops are bad. It's uh, there's no in the middle anymore. And I think that's one of the big problems. You're either on one side yeah. or you're on the other side. Hillary's bad. Oh, look at yeah. her. She did this and that and the other. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the ironic thing is that Hillary ran classified documents out of a closet in a house. Trump ran classified documents out of Mar-a-Lago. They're both guilty of the same damn thing, yet you hadn't heard about Hillary's, but you've heard about Trump's. Correct. They did both exactly the same damn thing, but we only hear about one side. And that 
pisses me off so well, bad. About Trump being orange, I really didn't know about that. Yeah, nobody so- knows. I'm I was like I'm I made the editors. I said you white balance Trump because the guy there's only three or four people that are taking video of Trump when he's doing these things because there's a pool of reporters. Yeah. And we're really we're our news only comes from about 25 to 35 people. when it comes to national news. Makes sense. Because there's not enough money to send everybody has to send. They have to send 25, 35 people so they can cover all the shifts, right? Yeah. And somebody there was pissed, didn't like him, and that's fair. I get it, but you're a reporter. That's not your job, you know? Yeah, I would, when you pointed that out, I was like, oh. I was like, I just thought he had a bad self-tan. I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I, I knew it when I saw it because the because this is what I do. You have a trained eye. For me yeah. as a layman, I was like, was that why? I, I like, thought he was just using self-tan and somebody couldn't help him. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't care who you're voting for. It doesn't matter to me, but the truth is better than than false. So one of the things that I asked you uh, in the email that when we set this interview up was uh, uh, I was interested in knowing the most heinous thing that you guys ever had to deal with uh, in your career. Um. Anything hmm, most heinous. I mean, it was there, you know, the, the, could transit. So, I mean, there's, it's like everything okay. that you can think of happens yeah. on the transit. Okay. Somebody hit by a train. Oh gosh. Did they do it on purpose? Was it suicide? Yeah. Most of them are. I, I, I was involved with several and I was involved in both variations of somebody oh pushed and, Okay, there's three variations, actually. Crime, somebody pushed, suicide, and then just accidental. Yeah. Uh, oh, there was accidental, and there's, um, I'll tell you one accidental one that, uh, and with the witnesses to this, it, to me it was chilling the way the witness depicted this. There was a, uh, it was in um, Midtown Manhattan, Lexington Avenue stop, and it's, it's a setup where it's an island platform. So you've got trains coming in on either side of this one island platform. And you have also, there was construction going on. So it was already a fairly narrow platform, but some of the construction had made it even worse and narrower. And plus where you had escalators going up, naturally the escalator is right in the middle of the platform. So you only had maybe on either side of that, if you want to continue walking down the platform, you only had maybe like 12 inches of, of platform. And during the morning rush hour, when trains are coming in, 500 people going down the stairs. And especially when the, when the trains that are coming into Manhattan were letting out, that's the first stop in Manhattan. So you have a mob of people getting off and all heading for that escalator. So you had this one, the way it turned out, you had this one man who was trying to get down the platform, not to the escalator, and he wanted to cross over the platform and pass the escalator on the side that the Queensbound trains would have been coming in. And as he was weeding his way through the mob of people trying to get to the escalator, he got finally to the edge, and there's there was... Uh, iron gate there that you could if you wanted to needed to close the escalator off yeah. you could pull that gate but it was retracted against the, the side but it's there and it's an iron thing he he this is coming from a witness 
he made his way through and he went, you know how you would like grab onto something to sort of swing around it. You grab and you sort of swing your way around. So he was coming out from this mob of people and he reached for that uh, one of the railings in the gate in order to just to sort of swing around to continue down the platform. And according to the witness, he just reached and he missed. And when he missed, his momentum was still carrying him towards the edge of the platform. And he said the look of panic on this guy's face when he realized he had missed and he couldn't stop himself. And he and there happened to be, of course, a train just coming in and he just couldn't stop himself and went right down onto the onto the tracks. And uh, that was wow. that. Oh, but that's gosh. just an accident. I you know, there were times where people jumped. There were times when people were pushed. Yeah, you know, was a, right. a I always ago. say yeah. people are nuts who who stand by the edge of the platform when yeah. a train's coming in. You know, you don't know who's coming up behind you. I always find put myself right up against a a, 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 a steel pillar, you know, yeah. where nobody can get behind me. So and you know, curious, is it true that there's a whole subset of tunnels underneath this New York City subway? Yes. That's crazy. It doesn't collapse? Is it a fear of collapse? No, there's all kinds of, when you're saying a subset of tunnels, there's one area in particular, but that's just on the Grand Central where you have many different levels. You have, you know, used to be there was underground colonies of people living there. Under the actual subway itself, there are different tunnels, some that were used in the past and aren't used, some that, that were started to be constructed and then stopped so it's not like there's like underneath everything there's there's something but there are these areas that you know there are dead stations that you know you'd be surprised there's a door at a station that you think it's just like a a supply closet and you open it up and it leads to an actual station that's 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 dead that hasn't been used in years and uh there's there's a lot of that around (laughs) yeah wow i you know that's fascinating and because who knows what you'd find there that would make a good tv show actually well, just like preserve it it's history oh yeah yeah well they do have the, the most famous one that's preserved in, in in some way is if and there's been some tv shows on this if um the old city hall station when the subway just opened up in the what was it the very late 1800s early 1900s but the station city hall has been long closed but now where the Lexington Avenue line, the number six train, which is local, where that terminates, it ends at Brooklyn Bridge, and then it makes this big loop around and starts coming up, going the other way, going north again. But when it makes that turn, it passes by what was the old City Hall station, and it's like in a, uh, a time capsule there. You, wow. you, if you're on that, you pass through it. And the platform is there. All of the um, the ceramic tile work is there. Oh, the wow. chandelier works are there. Wow. So there was talk, you know, 20 or 30 years ago that they were going to try to make some type of restaurant out of it and put, put glass uh, in front of where the trains turn. But it just didn't didn't work out. But that's still there. Every now and then the Transit Museum runs tours of that station, but they still keep that intact. I would, if I ever have to make a film in New York City that it, it's a period piece, I'm going to go see if I can get that. 
I want to go to the tour. That'd be fun and fascinating. I like history. I there's nobody there. You don't have to worry about pedestrians. You don't have to worry about blocking it off. (laughs) You'll have to pay whatever fees that they charge, which are exorbitant and crazy. But uh, you know, it's there. It's it's a period set. Yes. And, and the movie company comes in, and as far as the aesthetics are concerned, we come in and we make it look even better because we want it to look better. Wow, that's true. Right? So right. it's a win-win for everybody. It looks better mm-hmm. when we're done. We don't actually do any heavy construction because it would cost too much. We only want it to look good. We don't care if it holds up. <laughs> I mean, that's truth. You know, truth is truth. But that would be a good sound. I'd like, I'm going to look that up. That's nice. Well, uh, it's, it's ah, my voice is so bad today. So now you've got, have you won? You, you've, I see a picture here of you with some folks and at your, I guess it was your book signing or your premiere of your book. Yeah, that would have been a book signing. Yes. Yeah. And um, so your books are available on Amazon. Correct. And can you buy them from your website? What's your website? My web- website is robertbryanauthor.com. Robertbryanauthor.com. Author.com. Brian spelled? B-R-Y-A-N. B-R-Y-A-N. There's, okay, cool. Um, and if somebody needed to contact you about something, they can get to get a hold of you through that website, correct? Correct. All right. Um, so, we look for. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to get a ha- hands on one of these books and read it. Me too. I'm. I'm, I want I'm to. Interested. I am very and interested. We'll. Uh, we'll get a hold of them. We'll read them, and maybe we can follow up with you one day and say, ask you some questions about your characters. That sounds good. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you being on. We have an event that we're going to, so we're under time strain. Normally, we just talk and talk and talk and talk until the guest is, you know, completely deflated and tired and wants to kill us. But today, we're going to have to cut it off here in just a minute. I really appreciate you being here with us. Yes, so much. Thank you for answering our questions, and I'm really interested in your book. I'm kind of fascinated. I like to, I guess for me, you know, I have so many stories with nursing, but it's kind of nice to hear um, your stories. I mean, cause like you can kind of relate to real life things that you've been through and impacted in your career. I can kind of relate to that. So I'm definitely yeah. going to get your book for sure. Absolutely. So my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, any, anything you want to tell us about before we go? Um, no, I just, uh, it's my pleasure here and I Buy some hope books, people, right? Yeah. I hope people would give my books a look. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Now, next time we're, we're, we've run a couple of podcasts now that we've, we've got a couple under our belt. So we're about two weeks ahead at this point right now, two weeks, right? Yeah, that's about right. So we're going to work on, I'm going to take a little extra time to see if I can find somebody local who we can interview about craziness. I would really like to talk to somebody about, um, uh, the, the sheriff of Madison County, that'd be interesting. That's a dangerous topic because those cats will come out and find you and, you know, like murder you because they're, <laughs> they're, the sheriff of Madison County was a big deal when he died and everybody, they thought he was a drug guy. Yeah, there's some controversy on yeah, that. But the other half is was. like, no, he's not a drug guy. But Faubus, the guy that, that fought with Eisenhower over blacks in the high school, that's his county. Yeah. It's at the hotel, the Faubus Hotel. Yeah. I mean, that's his county. That's where he's from. So it's it's an interesting place. But I don't know if we can get that or not. I'm going to work on that. But we're also going to be working on some other 
other things. Um, it, what what have you got planned for us, Andrea? I don't know. I I'm interested in the interesting forensics macabre kind of stuff. But I was kind of curious after one of our podcasts about obviously mailing of the body parts, exactly. Um, Death practices, mortuary practices. Yeah, I've been working. We tried to get some people on, but man, those mortuary guys are so damn boring. Well, turn of the century death practices <laughs> of having to have like the bell, ring the bell in case, you know, just, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find some interesting people. Paul seems to have better luck than I I, I can't find anybody, a, a, a mortuary mortuary person. They just don't, don't want to do it. They're afraid that they're going to cause issues with their clients, I think. That's interesting statement, but okay. Yeah. It's like, there's no refunds for this. It's already done. <laughs> you can't get a refund. No. <laughs> People in the hospital are super busy, so I don't really want to interview them because we're yeah. still kind of recovering from COVID. Well, I don't think you should interview anybody inside your own network. No. no. I think we should, we, if you want to interview, you need to go to a competing hospital. Interview them. Uh, yeah, the hospital might have issues with me talking to someone who's on the other side of the fence. But if we're not talking about anything hospital related, we're just talking about like coronary issues or something like that. Well, that's you know. kind of boring, though. Uh, I well, like it because I'm a nurse and I yeah. love that stuff and I think it's interesting. But you know, well, I'm different. I appreciate you guys listening and I guess we're done. I would say so. Bye. Bye. <laughs>